So, all right. Um, welcome to another episode of Tolkien with Friends. Today, we're excited to welcome our very first guest, Emily, Am which I you really may know you? as Silmar Emily on TikTok or Twitter. Now, Emily, this is a reference to the Silmarillion, right? Your yes, username? it is. It, I used to do Star Wars, so my old username was Star Wars related. And when okay. I switched, I was like, I need to have something more Tolkien-esque. And that just, like, popped into my head one day. And I was like, nobody's going to get this, right? Like, nobody's <laughs> going to understand what the, like what this is referencing. So whenever somebody does get it, I'm like, yay! <laughs> you found your people, right? Yeah. Like, you. It works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so is... Was this was that just like a one that popped into your head, or like what was your intro to Tolkien? Um, my intro was my mom. She mm-hmm. read the books like religiously growing up, and but my first memory is watching the movies, of course. Like I'm yeah from the younger generations. Like I just actually finished reading the books for the first time like last week. <laughs> Amazing. So, but I did read the Silmarillion. She had um, bought me copies of the like trilogy when I was in high school, and I actually worked in my high school's library, and they were getting rid of like a bunch of books that hadn't been checked out in a really, really long time. And there was a copy of the Silmarillion in there, and I was like, "Can I just take this? <laughs> just like awesome. save it from being I don't know donated or whatever." And the librarian was like yeah so that's like that's the one I started reading and I and you like actually read it yeah I actually read it I've read it (laughs) twice and um the first time I read it I annotated it so I had Mm -hmm. I worked at a job where they had those little you know those little post-it flags that's amazing because I bought I had this I got gifted like this really beautiful um gift set do you hear corky digging in the background yeah (laughs) it's okay (laughs) I just if if a vet ever listens to this podcast, I just was like, why would a dog need to feel the need? Like his his impulse to dig is so so strong, <laughs> and he never gets anywhere. And I and I even bought him like a thing. See, I this is why I thought he would like it, but Ike likes it a lot more than he does. Where it's like it looks like a flower, and you can hide treats in under the petals, and you like dig. He's he's not interested in digging that. Just oh. specifically the carpet in the bedroom. So <laughs> I just got some, some good hiding out of there. <laughs> I, know. I don't know. He's crazy. Um, but yeah, I had this. I was gifted this beautiful get set of. It had the Silmarillion, um, a guide to Middle Earth, and the Hobbit and the trilogy. And Silmarillion was one where I was like, yeah, I'm gonna do it. I'm going to read it. This is going to, and then I would like get through like the music of the Ainur and then I would be like, mm. like I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I liked that. But then once it started like explaining all the gods and their jobs, I was like, yeah. <laughs> I always lose a little bit of interest when it gets into the men. Like, yeah, I think that whole elf, like that whole situation with the different lineages, like that is more interesting to me. So I have mm-hmm. much better recollection of that part than I do the like later like all of the stuff that's happening with the men part yeah yeah and I it's just like there's just there's so many names to keep track of so I love the annotating you you gotta Anna do you ever do anything like that with Game of Thrones no I don't but they do have um like 
like an appendix in the back of the book where it talks about everyone's family line. And sometimes you just got to be like, okay, now who was this kid? Like, <laughs> where did this person go? And you have to check like, oh, okay. Yes, that's whoever. Yeah. yeah. But I, I plan to annotate uh, Fire and Blood because I've, I've heard that it's similar. Uh, so just to keep track of all the histories. It'll, there will be lots of annotation involved. Yeah. I think it's the way to go with something like that. It is. <laughs> it's like reading a textbook, but for yeah. like <laughs> I know. <laughs> if we ever thought, I mean, as a kid, did we ever think that that was going to be our life? Probably not. But here no. we are. <laughs> no. And I think it's rare to like prefer. I prefer to read the Silmarillion and that is not a common. Yeah, I think that's a really unique Like, like I found it entry. way easier to get through than the trilogy <laughs> that's fascinating never heard that before yeah i've never <laughs> like i would i would reread the similarly in a thousand times before i read these again so um so that's like the intro and today we are going to be talking about tom bombadil and getting to brie and meeting strider aka aragorn but First, just because this has just been like something that's been eating away at my brain for the last few days, and uh, I thought it would be fun to chat with you two about, um, is having a discussion about the way like social media and the role it plays in like media literacy. So just like the way that we understand and consume the media that we are engaging with, right? And that's like, it can be anything that could be from fandom obviously fandom specifically for us but um from any tv show video games books movies whatever um and i've noticed this tendency and on things like tiktok and instagram where i see a lot of creators like in our fandom and in other fandoms where they're just kind of like throwing trivia at folks and it, I don't know, there's something about it that's like, like, I get it on one hand, like, it's quick, easy to digest, like, simple stuff that is kind of made for that format. But then there's something about it where I feel like it's reached a point where it's like, so prevalent that, like, it just hit me the other day where I was thinking, like, none of this really encourages people to thoughtfully consume this or think about this fandom you know um I don't know if that's something you all have noticed or agree with but um would love to hear your thoughts on that I definitely noticed that I think it is pretty prevalent on TikTok uh like the the media literacy of the average TikTok creator or our consumer is like pretty much zero <laughs> and I feel like the heart of it is just the platform the, the nature of the platform like yeah. long form content is really hard to gain a following on like I follow maybe a handful of people that videos do really well of, and it's just them talking for three minutes like right for me those videos don't do well like I think TikTok tends to push the more, you know, meme face, seven second video kind of stuff. And yeah. it's a bummer. It's a bummer because there could be some more intelligent, thoughtful, 
discussions that TikTok is not necessarily allowing for. And I think a lot of people tend to just go the trivia slash meme route because that's what gets views. Right. So. Yeah. And it's it's kind of like this self-fulfilling prophecy thing where yeah. it's like, okay, so you're, maybe you did want to start out, whether or not you, you know, starting out, maybe you try thinking about the material you know more thoughtfully having a more um nuanced conversation but then you realize that tiktok pushes the quicker bite-sized stuff Mm -hmm. um and then so you start leaning into that more because you're also trying to get views or whatever but then at the same time on the consumer end it rewards the stuff that you engage with and if you you're not seeing enough thoughtful stuff to engage with and then you engage more with the trivial stuff yeah um so yeah i think that there like there are so many fun and good and interesting things about tiktok like i was able to meet you and i've met like so many other great people that are um and i've learned a lot of things like you know if you're like on like the educational side of tiktok like you can really learn and like make you think deeper about whatever it is that they're talking about yeah um but overall just the way that the algorithm seems to work and i think this is even true especially with like instagram getting into reels and stuff Mm, it's like we're all trying to i don't know it's it's interesting um to keep like that just keeps like reinforcing itself you know and then it makes me wonder well like is anybody thinking about this critically anymore? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I see so many. and and But there is also kind of like a weird vibe of the trivia stuff. Like, did you know? Or like, hey, guess what? Like, as if, I don't know. It kind of creates like, like a false authority figure to me. Mm-hmm. Where like the creator is like spouting this thing as if it's some mystical knowledge and i'm like they just read the book well and people also say like people will believe literally anything like i see it on my for you page all the time like videos with millions of likes that i'm like this is so clearly either a lie or just like something told incorrectly there's something incorrect because the person saying it has a million followers of how whoever people in the comments uh, just like, are so easy to convince of things and I feel like it's that is what you're talking about where like it's the mm. consumers I think at least more so than like content creators at least people who are trying to make yeah. that type of video like trying to create um thoughtful you know thought-provoking content it's more so like just the mind-numbing scroll effect where you just you just see video after video and it doesn't encourage you to pause and think because there's another video right below yeah, you don't ever true. have to pause and unless you're on somebody's personal page or you're on your following page and that's who you follow like I don't know it is I feel like it is an epidemic of just <laughs> zero <Yeah>. critical thinking <laughs> and, it, and it makes me think about how so like the rise of this app happened during the pandemic right and uh-huh. i think that we know there's a lot of things about the pandemic that i think point to like a lack of 
overall media literacy and like understanding true and false things on the internet or understand or like not taking everything like taking some things with a grain of salt for example you know like like I feel like when we were probably growing up I'm like assuming you're that we're the same age um (laughs) but but there was like the thing of uh don't believe everything you see on the internet and I feel like that has like dropped off and I see like a lot of younger people really falling for a lot of things that it's like guys that's so fake like yeah did you do you not remember like what a fake website looks like I don't know like the whole like I remember being told like you know the internet is forever like what Mm -hmm. you put on the internet stays there forever and I feel like there are so many trends nowadays that these teenagers are doing just because they're trends and like did nobody warn you like that that doesn't go away like the the picture of you high because the song is a trend like your employers one day could see that you know like it's just where did that concept go that we were like it was drilled into me as Mm -hmm. a kid like the strain we would watch the videos in health class about like cyberbullying and stranger danger and like that is yeah it makes me think that that conversation isn't happening and that also like during the pandemic so many kids have literally had like pivotal moments of their adolescence happen online now because that's how like the only way that they were able to connect with other people Mm -hmm. and like obviously there's so much about that like like, you can't you couldn't control but I just am like I guess so surprised that there doesn't seem to be that conversation of happening about like yeah a you know what you post is you know it could be a forever reflection on you and also the fact that um like how to consume it in a way that isn't harmful to yourself you know and so Mm -hmm. like I just wanted to put it out there that like like I totally understand wanting to know more about the lore and like Fun facts are fun, right? Like, we love, who doesn't love trivia? Like, I used, like, when I, I broke my collarbone when I was 20, and I just watched, like, trivia shows the whole time. It's just, (laughs) it's so fun. Like, you know, it was, like, one of the, like, a channel that I could easily put on and Mm -hmm. just kind of, like, lay there. Um, So, like, I totally get it. But if you're just trying to, but if you're just, like, letting all of that wash over you or, like, participating in a fandom and never really thinking about, like, what the story means Mm -hmm. or like the themes of it or you know like what it's saying more broadly I think that um that kind of defeats the purpose of like knowing the lore oh yeah that was like a very common thing that would happen in the Star Wars fandom Mm. like me and other people I know would make videos talking about you know various pieces of symbolism and you know themes that carry across all of the movies like there's you can definitely enjoy star wars as just like a pew pew laser sword action movie like that is totally fine if that's you don't want to delve any deeper but like there was this problem where people that did delve deeper and kind of make videos about different things about the lore or whatever would get hit with all of these comments being like oh it's not that deep bro and it's like, but 
it is it can be <laughs> like just, there's so just, many things it's like yeah. it's so obvious like filmmakers are intentional like you don't make a million dollar movie and have all these people on your team like writers and directors and costume designers and set de- set designers like you don't have all those people there and none of those people think critically about what they're making like it's that just, that's not that doesn't happen. there's no way thing. you would get that many people to buy into the process of making it right if it was all service letter le- exactly. level stuff, you know like i've you know like i'm sh- i know that there are those dudes on the internet they're just like they just want to talk about like who could fight who the bestest yeah you know and like (laughs) but I'm like if that is all you're getting out of this like I'm legitimately worried about you (laughs) it was it's it's very 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 confusing and very frustrating when you're trying to like increase literacy about a certain piece of media and then you just hit with the the dude bros I don't there's not even a better word for them they're just dude bros that just don't want to think critically about anything and also for some reason even if they don't want to think critically about it get mad at you for thinking critically I know it's like Like, that tiktok it's like oh if you're just boring just say that (laughs) (laughs) that sums it up yeah yeah that yeah in a nutshell (laughs) if you're boring just say that (laughs) yeah so um this isn't really segue into what we're actually talking about at all (laughs) but i just feel like i need to get that off my chest yeah (laughs) so thank you for being there for me (laughs) for that because i also don't i think that that's one of the reasons why i was interested in starting a podcast is that like there's only so much I can say in three minutes. And I know TikTok is adding 10 minutes or whatever. It hasn't happened for me yet. And Whoa. I don't really know if I want to do that. I think I would lose all my followers. Like, I think <laughs> if I had the opportunity. It's like, buckle up, followers. We're going on. I mean, that's what YouTube yeah. is for. Like, I, I could talk about it for 10 minutes. But, like, am I going to subject somebody to that besides, like, my mom? No. <laughs> yeah, definitely shout out to moms for listening her and be like this is what this is my thoughts about things and she'll yeah. listen but i don't want to put anybody else through that. just like unfiltered so yeah i mean that's yeah. why we're here and we talk into your ear for like an hour every week uh, mm-hmm. so that i can just like get all my thoughts out and then you know i put other things out on tiktok but i mean i'm not like one thing that I was also thinking about is that, like, I don't, I have, like, what, 260 followers at this point? Like, um, it's not very many, but I was also thinking about it, and I was, like, I feel like the people that do follow me are, like, pretty high-quality people. That is, like, I would so much, like, I've talked about this with other friends before because I've been on TikTok for, like, two issues. I made my TikTok at the beginning of the pandemic, like, March mm. 2020, and I have like followers, but like in comparison uh, that it's taken me two years, it's like not that many, but it's people that like genuinely like that I picked up when I did Star Wars that like still Mm -hmm. stick around and engage with my content. And I would so much rather have those kinds of relationships than have like 500,000 followers of bots or people that don't actually like me as a person. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Because it's like, I mean, it's, 
It's, uh, I think it just, because the point of it for me is to just like meet other people that are thinking, you know, like that are want to talk about this stuff. So I think it's much more rewarding in that sense. Because if if I was just doing it to try to like gain followers or like try to like be a content creator, like I would be so frustrated all the time. And it's also like really obvious when people just join for like clout Mm -hmm. purposes. Yeah, that's no fun. No. No. And on that note, let's talk about Tom Bombadil. I can't so, wait. So, <laughs> um, uh, just as a reminder, uh, the last time we saw Frodo, Sam, and Mary and Pippin, they were just about to head into the whole old forest um, while they were leaving Buckland. But in the movies, they have just escaped the ring raids and, uh, by jumping onto Buckleberry Ferry. And in the movies, they immediately cut from there to arriving in Bree. Mm-hmm. So first, we're going to go over the stuff that they skipped. And, yeah. um, you know, there's... Emily, I don't know. I mean, you just recently reread everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you wanted to give, like, a quick overview of what movie fans may need to know about the old forest. Yes. Um, so, yeah, like, I have seen the movies a bunch of times. I only just now read the books and it was, it was kind of a nasty shock because the beginning of fellowship for me was incredibly hard to get through. Cause I mean, he's just describing Frodo selling his furniture for two chapters. And I was like, Dude, like get on with it. <laughs> oh no. So when I was like reading the overview and I was like counting how many chapters it was taking him to get debris, I was like, oh, like there's a lot of stuff in here. So, um, so yeah, like they, they get into the old forest and then there is old man Willow that is a malicious tree, I think. Yeah. As one set does. Yes. Runs into a malicious tree. Malicious tree. All the time. That traps Mary and Pippin, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then they, and then Tom Bombadil comes and rescues them and they go to his house. They meet his wife, Goldberry. And then they travel on through the Barrow Downs, which was extremely confusing for me. I had to kind of Google. I was like, I could not picture. It was something that made me realize how essential the movies are for like picturing his insanely flowery description because once I didn't Mm. have that mental picture in my head I was like where are we like what is happening yeah and then it gets covered in fog for part of the time so I it's like what I mean I was like I don't even need to worry about what this looks like (laughs) (laughs) and I was like what are barrow downs so they when the barrow whites like all of that stuff and it's where they get the daggers and well Tom Bombadil comes and rescues them again and sends them via song yes all the songs (laughs) honestly like (laughs) i have no idea what you're talking about (laughs) i like listen to them in in the audiobook form so anytime he started singing i'd be like Like, in the audiobook is someone actually trying to like put a tune to it or do they just recite it it was the ones i i was listening to the andy circus version (gasps) which is no way to andy they're amazing yeah he, he didn't does, know that he does the best voices he actually did like an interview where he talked about like he did like he was in different positions for the mics like he's like for Gandalf I was up here and for Elrond I like used my hand like that like he talked about how he did all the voices and it was especially exciting when you got to the Gollum parts because like yes. actually Gollum so 
Whoa. He was good, but the singing, I'm, I could not. <laughs> I couldn't do the That's singing. so cute. And like everything Tom good Bombadil for Andy, though. says, everything Tom Bombadil says is sung. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, true. He's unbearable. a musical? <laughs> so, yeah, so Tom, he like shows up singing and he kind of, even if he's not like singing, singing, he like kind of rhymes a little bit. Uh-huh. And he, he shows up. And he's this very, like, to- to- he's one of the characters that Tolkien never fully explains. He's literally a side quest, he's, right? He's like the famous, like, Tom Bombadil and the Entwives and where Ooh. the mouth of Sauron comes from are, like, the three, like, Tolkien Silmarils of no answers. Yeah. <laughs> he never explains. And, and I think I, that's kind of what I love about Tolkien. It's like, do with that what you will, you know? Yeah. Make up your own backstory for Tom yeah. Bombadil. Well, it's like, it for him, it was like a history. So, like, since Frodo doesn't know what Tom Bombadil is, we don't either because he's not, like, an omniscient narrator. He's telling it like it's a history. So I always mm-hmm. think it's cool that there are things he just doesn't explain and that we can speculate, keeps the conversation going, even, yeah. you know, almost 100 years later. Yeah, so Tom Bombadil has the vibe of, like, he's very, he has, like, a silly vibe, but he also has, like, a very ancient vibe, and, um, like, he talks about being there before anybody else was on Earth. Um, He definitely, like, seems to be a spirit or, like, a Maiar of some kind, as well Mm -hmm. as his wife being, like, the river daughter, Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so that's, like, the vibe of Tom Bombadil, he rescues them out of the Barrow Downs when they get trapped by an evil spirit there. Anna, I really do think you would like that part, though, even though it was cut. <laughs> evil spirit? Oh, yeah, I think I that just- <laughs> I like, like, horror movies and stuff. So. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I just think that, like, yes. it's just, like, so randomly spooky that it's, mm-hmm. you know... Um, but ultimately unnecessary right like i'm sure i know that there are like tom bombadil fans oh um out there and (laughs) (laughs) and it's like i think it's fine like there's a part of me where it's like you know it's like intriguing but then at the same time it does still feel a little bit like trying to create a sequel to the hobbit right because it's a little silly like it's Mm -hmm. a little like you know a little bit like when you we meet Bayorn in The Hobbit like there's kind of this like um it's a little nerve-wracking but ultimately it's like fine it's very much side it's side it's a side quest yeah definitely and it's something that I'm of all of the changes that most of which I agree with that Peter made that was the one that I like just cutting out all of those chapters and not having them like I didn't I didn't find that I mean probably because I know the plot based on the movies like I just didn't find Mm -hmm. it essential to anything I mean it was interesting and it's really not when you're thinking about it like me and Anna we've talked about this before of like he's saying these words like especially Gandalf of like there should be a sense of urgency but to just go that was the biggest (laughs) with the books at least like that they would always like some- say like oh this is we gotta go we gotta go and then somebody would be like oh but what happened be like well i can't tell you but 
And then they would just stop and tell a whole story. And I was like, I thought this was urgent. I thought you were in danger. <laughs> why did to go to Rivendell? Like, that was also why the beginning bothered me. Because I was like, why is Frodo just hanging out for three months? Like, go. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, you're being pursued by the servants of Mordor. Casual like, take Friday. Your time. Yeah, they were they had a take lot of time. really close encounters with the ring race and which nobody wanted to tell Frodo what they were, even mm-hmm. though they were clearly chasing after him, but he, nobody would ever tell him what they were. And I was like, to have that many encounters with something that's trying to get you and I know. To not know what it is. I know it's like to because Gandalf he I think later he tries to act like he did because I mean he does explain like how the rings work you know and that the servants of the enemy are coming but then when Gildor find and I don't know maybe I mean obviously at the time mean to them he was like I'm not gonna tell I'm not gonna explain anything to you (laughs) you dumb little dumb little hobbits like I didn't. It did feel like um, it was very condescending, like much more like, oh, the elves are better than everybody else, which I'm glad that like Peter Jackson didn't lean into that personality trait. Yeah. And it is it's funny to think about, especially if like you knowing the Silmarillion, like elves aren't any better than anybody else. No, they made so many mistakes. All the elves from the first age died. Because they were dumb. Like, they're not better than anybody else. I know. <laughs> if there's one thing we can learn from the Silmarillion is do not swear oaths to about things. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, I think Kierden is, like, one of the only ones left. Like, just mind your business. Yeah. Build your ships. Don't get involved. <laughs> <laughs> Should be the motto. Yeah. I think you're right. <laughs> So with understanding that like Tom is like kind of this enigma in the story, but I do want to talk about how Peter Jackson takes that section and takes some really choice stuff from it and then adapts it for other things into the movies. I feel like that's like a masterclass and like, I think you can learn a lot from Lord of the Rings about like how to adapt something or not. Like there's, um, so many examples. I mean, several of them being from Treebeard, uh, where he's the one that um, talks about you should not like they have that extended scene in Two Towers where Mary and Pippin do get kind of uh, trapped by a tree, and Treebeard comes and helps them out and says you should not be waking. Eat earth, dig deep, drink water, go to sleep, and you know. So that's like that almost like an exact lift. From that, but Treebeard helping them, a character that mm-hmm. actually plays a part in the story, mm-hmm. which I think was sweet. And then they also add things like Mary in the movie talks about how, like, oh, yeah, remember the old forest? And we there are trees that can talk to each other right. and move. And it's like, he would know that, you know, like, he does understand that the old forest can, that they do talk to each other and they mm-hmm. can move. Like, he knows stories of that. They go through the old forest in the books. But to just have him understand that, I think, shows, you know, we get to see a little bit more of, like, who Pippin is and, like, his understanding of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
it's it's a great reference that it, like it doesn't really matter but it pr- ties perfectly for Fangorn you know because that's ex- essentially what's happening there yeah um and then there's um the there's a part where Tom is describing the hearts of trees and they give that like Tom's part is Tom's words laid bare the hearts of trees and their thoughts which were often dark and strange and filled with a hatred of things that go free upon the earth gnawing biting breaking hacking burning destroyers and usurpers Mm -hmm. and they give that last bit to Treebeard to talk about the orcs yes which I I think is that it's a great way to like preserve yeah. the words of Tolkien and then but fit it into like the cinematic version yes. because it's a it's a great description of orcs. Oh yeah. And exactly what Saruman's orcs are doing to mm-hmm. his forest in order to fuel his, you know, war. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And to have it given to Treebeard which is such a clear juxtaposition of like mechanical things and um industrialism you Mm -hmm. know he's like the most you can't you don't get more organic than tree beard (laughs) you know so i think that there is oh and then one thing that is like super more subtle and we don't see it until return of the king the dream that frodo has when he's at the house of tom bombadil is it says frodo heard a sweet singing running in his mind a song that seemed to come like a pale light behind a gray rain curtain and growing stronger to turn the veil all to glass and silver until at last it was rolled back and a far green country opened before him under a swift sunrise Mm. and this is taken and given to gandalf when pippin is afraid of dying at Um, minas tirith yes and so like i have what gandalf says so he says you know Pippin is like, you know, I didn't think it would end like this. Mm-hmm. And Gandalf responds, end? No, the journey doesn't end here. Death mm-hmm. is just another path, one that we all must take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and turns to silver glass. And then you see it. White shores and beyond the far green country under a swift sunrise. And I think and that's I- also how he describes Valinor. When mm-hmm. Frodo goes there at the end of Return of the King, that's what he describes Frodo seeing yeah and it, it's it's perfect because obviously gandalf would know what valinor looks yes. like he was right? there yeah <laughs> 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 so i think it's it's so it's just like you know not everything that peter jackson and team did was probably like an absolute um must or you know like Mm -hmm. maybe the perfect decision for every character every scene but there are so many things that they did so so well like the attention to detail here like knowing like yeah we're gonna lose tom bombadil because like you can't tell an audience that we're being chased by the most evil beings Mm -hmm. and then take our sweet time to do that and also you only have so much time to tell in a movie whereas in a book you're just like and those movies are already insanely long like he already packed as much in there as he could sure did so i think (laughs) the stuff that he picked and the way that he he chose like there were so many lines that specifically gandalf's from the beginning of fellowship where he Mm -hmm. instead of like him saying all right they're coming the ring they know where the ring is and frodo leaves they have this whole conversation and pretty much 
all of Gandalf's really great lines are said in that conversation. He spends an eternity describing to Frodo like the history of the ring. I think part of it is Galadriel's mm-hmm. prologue from the yeah. beginning of the movie. And then part of it is the conversation that they have in um, the Moria, Moria in yeah. the, where it's like, I wish this had not happened. So do all who live to see such times. Like I'm just, I was so glad that he didn't just waste all of Gandalf's like good material. Totally. <laughs> for the beginning. And he like kind of and set it all out. And it's such a great understanding and like kind of shows that he really understood like the characters, but also the emotional changes in a film right because yes. at the beginning you're kind of like go 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 yeah. and then in Rivendell you can take a deep breath and then you know they're kind of they've gone through some troubles and then in Moria it's yes. you know they're alone and they yeah. feel like, and then you can take a deep breath there like and then it picks up again much more appropriate place to be having that conversation than just like at the beginning before anything yeah and, it, and it's interesting that it's like he <laughs> Like, I do love some of the things that he says to Frodo, and I think that there's some things that are lost a little bit in the translation of, like, showing, like, we talked about this, I think, last time it was about having, showing how much Frodo really understood what he was getting into, right. whereas in the movies, there, there wasn't as much time to do that, right. um, but then to have those conversations, you know, and I think it also was really poignant to have it, like, right before Gandalf dies you know mm, for, mm-hmm. for Frodo's from Frodo's perspective to like have that reinforced about yes. Gollum before he literally meets Gollum not right a couple months later yes um and it probably like it's, it's, I'm just you know because it's like you have to think about everything in terms of the movie or somebody that has never entered this world before uh-huh. you know how do you make it make sense and mm-hmm. I think that the way that they treat the Tom Bombadil stuff in the movies is excellent mm-hmm. because you you get some of those best bits um that are there like some of the really like cool writing mm-hmm. and then you get it sprinkled in other places that but also, also like sense. confusing character and also confusing why are they you know stopping yeah. resting why are they here yeah, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> They were in a hurry, but we also do seem to have some extra time. Yeah. So. Yeah. Poor little yeah. adventure. <laughs> like, I just felt sure. like there was a, a, lot of, a lot of stopping that happened mm-hmm. in those first few chapters. Yeah, for sure. And even like when they stop in Buckland, they're, you know, Frodo literally asks Mary, he's like, could the Black Riders like how soon do you think they'll get here and mary's like they could be here by now if they wanted to right yeah and it's like but they still stay the night they don't leave that night you know they take a bath so so upon leaving um tom we we finally enter brie and so there are, I feel like there's a lot of things you could talk about in Brie, but in me trying to restrain myself, like this podcast, it's not to go line by line in, in the books right. as much. I like, as I would, want to. it would be unhinged. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's not necessary. Like there's like the Tolkien professor who literally does that like right. every week. Um, so check that out if you want. Uh, <laughs> but the things that I really wanted to talk about, which kind of, um, one of them harkens back to some of the things we've talked about before. Uh, and then the second being obviously our first big major character 
edition. So first, I yeah, <laughs> I was telling my mom that we were talking about this um, on this episode, and she was like, oh, "I just love Eric." Everyone loves Vico. I was like, this is my episode. Put a nice stamp on it. I want to talk about. <laughs> Give me the Strider. Yes. And, and you know what's funny is that, like, he's called Strider for such a good chunk in the books that me and my mom called Aragorn Strider for a long time before we yeah. saw the movies. You know, like, yeah. in the movies, I think they make it more clear, like, he's Aragorn. But yeah. he, like, the Hobbits, because the books are pretty much always told from the perspective of one of the Hobbits, you yeah. know, um, it's, they say Strider a lot, because that's mm-hmm. what they were introduced to. I think to he's still, I think, like, Sam at the end of the book, he, he does him Strider, which is not something that happens. They pretty quickly, once, once he has revealed his true identity, they pretty quickly drop the strider yeah but there's just because tolkien like really buckles down on those first few chapters yeah that's like so and yeah sam just keeps calling him strider and of course like how often do they really refer to each other by name after the council you know like they're just like traveling together and then they part ways for a long time so yeah and a lot happens but first, I want to talk about descri- Tolkien's description of Bree as a town, because he spent a lot of, t- like, a good couple of pages describing um, the village of Bree and its people. And mm-hmm. the one thing that stood out to me is the way that he describes the men, like, humans that live there. Um, you know, he describes them as being, like, brown-haired, broad, rather short. Cheerful and independent, they belonged to nobody but themselves, but they were friendly and familiar with hobbits, dwarves, elves, mm-hmm. and other inhabitants of the world about them um, than was or is usual with big people. And I think that's something that we've noted in a couple episodes now about Tolkien adding this, um, I think it's becoming like a running theme of uh like anti-isolationism you know he talks Mm -hmm. about how in the foreword that hobbits were afraid of elves even though they probably learned a lot from them in the beginning but now they um associate them with the sea and death and they are afraid and even like some hobbits in the shire don't even think elves exist anymore um and then you see like this contrast of Frodo who can like speak Elvish and is like friendly with the elves and like the good that that kind of brings about for them, you know? Yeah. Um, and so we see it again here in Bree where he, you know, goes on to talk about um, the hobbits that live there and how uh, the men and hobbits live together in Bree and he calls it a peculiar but excellent arrangement. And so I think it's just like, it's one of those things that probably upon first reading or even like seventh reading, you know, like I didn't really notice, but now I'm it really, especially when we see like a lot of turmoil in the world and a lot of like, I don't know, just like people being afraid of each other or unsure or like, or and like now when we're more aware of like how important like cultural competency is, I think that it's like you know there there are so many things where I'm like Tolkien, you were ahead of your time. We weren't picking up what you were putting down, <laughs> you know. So um, I'm calling it a theme, and every time I see it, I'm going to point it out. <laughs> I, love I mean, that. it's not like the internet trolls are are helping you think about it any less. So it, exactly, yeah. 
I that is not something I ever put together, but I love that. Yeah, I like I keep seeing it. So now it's like we're seeing it a lot in the Shire. I think he's really yeah. trying to point to how hobbits and people that have like kind of point you know they've laid down their roots and they're really interested in their families and like their the the world around them but then it's like because he clearly has um a great love for the shire you know like you can tell by the way that he describes it and the people Mm -hmm. and it's like nice and and everything but they don't have a lot of problems but he talks about how he's clearly hinting at how this could lead to problems and i think that's what we see with like the scouring of the shire because they were not ready for that they yeah. were not ready for the world to be at war. Yeah. You know? And and this isn't really seen in the movies because they... In the movies, he has hobbits say, like, war's a brewing. And I don't think that has ever entered our book hobbits' minds at this point. No, yeah. So he... Peter Jackson makes our movie hobbits a little bit more aware of the world than mm-hmm. what they actually are. Yeah. Um, which I think is interesting. Interesting contrast. So the the pending doom of like a great war has been talked about for a long time um, in the books. So when they're like, oh, it's now, it's happening right now, they're a little surprised or what are you, what are you trying to say? Oh, so like the hobbits in the book, I they are so isolated from the rest of middle earth like i don't even think it occurs to them like they know that there are men and dwarves and dwarves like make their way through um yeah. the shire to get to they're the like Blue Mountains. on that road to the east like there he describes multiple times how there's this like old road that used to be more traveled and that hobbits used to have more interaction like you said with like elves and men and stuff but like that has kind of separated and i think it's more like towards the Bree end that that's all happening, like how the men are familiar yes. with hobbits. But it's like a very unique situation in Bree because like the rest yeah. of the Shire, they really just keep to themselves and mm-hmm. Bree really kind of keeps to Bree. But because they're at this intersection of an like the East Road and then mm-hmm. the Greenway, which isn't really traveled anymore, there used to yeah. be a whole lot of like interaction and like trade mm-hmm. with other groups. But now it's, but at the time of Lord of the Rings, these hobbits are so isolated that mm-hmm. they have no clue what's going on in the rest of the world, you mm-hmm. know? But in Peter Jackson's version, he has them act as though they are suspicious about, like, queer folk abroad. And, like, he said, literally says things like wars are brewing and, mm-hmm. you know, like, mark my words kind of thing. But our well, book they take hobbits, Gandalf coming as, like, an omen, which a lot of yeah. people do. Mm-hmm. But, like, they take him showing up as, like, a a bad sign and like they sort of know I mean I think they'd still do in the book know what happens with Bilbo because they are like oh he went somewhere now he's rich and like dwarves, yeah they do dwarves are always at his house like they kind True. of have that concept but but I do think they kind of chalk it up to just Bilbo being a weirdo that, yeah that's exactly what it is and they're like oh well at least Frodo's good you know Frodo's not like his crazy old uncle yeah so it's like hides that he's leaving and stuff like that because they yeah tries to not make it a big because he doesn't want them all talking about it yeah and then people finding out that way you know so it's so we've got this um i I, he's really trying to make it a point in the book of being like hobbits don't deal with other people they don't Mm -hmm. know anything about the outside world they definitely don't deal with elves anymore like dwarves Mm -hmm. 
come by, but they're really, you know, they're wary of men. Um, and even in the book, it says that when Sam gets to Bree, this is his first time seeing men. Yeah. And it, oh. and it's like, I mean, how would you interpret that in a book to show? Like, I think they do try to make it like they seem very upsetting and like scary, you know, like with the rain and like the, the shots of like Peter yeah. biting into the kid. And, <laughs> yeah. like, and like the way that they're drinking the beer even is very like uncomfortable. Yes, they, they do. Oh. They make them seem very out of place, especially yeah. in the in the pub. They make them look very wary of of everything. Mm-hmm. So it's like they're in this very foreign place, still don't understand why Gandalf hasn't shown up, right. and then enter Strider, who is told to them is a ranger. Mm-hmm. Um, they, and it's funny that that the connotation of rangers is that they're like this mysterious, like no good, you know, they just kind of come and go. Yeah, um, and that they're they're strange, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, uh, Frodo asks about Strider and Bar- the innkeeper tells him a little bit about him, but that, that he doesn't really know what his real name is and uh, says, funny, you should ask about him and then walks away. <laughs> it's like, oh, thanks. Um, so come to find out, like, Strider is Aragorn and he realizes he knows that the black riders have been in Bree. They've already been there. They've been already asking about Baggins, right? Because they had to get that way before they could get to the Shire. And so he does know what's up. And Gandalf has already briefed him on Frodo having the ring Mm because Aragorn helped Gandalf find Gollum in order to get, you know, to find out what Gollum had told Mordor in the first place. That's how Gandalf knows that you know, about Shire Baggins thing. Okay. That's not uh, super in, clear in the movies. No, in the movies, they just, they cut to, like, Gollum's hand going like this, mm-hmm. and, he, like, he's being tortured and just like, Shire Baggins! And yeah. then cut to Nazgul yeah. leaving Minas, Minas Morgul, mm-hmm. and, you know, right. which, cinematically, that makes sense. Right. I know. Nazgul are very scary, Gal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> So, but in the books, you know, Aragorn is the one that helps Gandalf track that information down because he's excellent at tracking. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but he is portrayed very uh, spooky. Like, they don't know whether to trust him or not. And Strider's doing everything that he can't. Like, he's actually, there's some things that he says that are clearly, like, he's still, like, laying down sus vibes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But he finally... um, they finally get a letter from Gandalf that the innkeeper has held since like June or July mm-hmm. that because he forgot about it. And he says like, Hey, look for Strider. His real name is Aragorn yeah. and puts the, you know, the poem that's associated with um, Aragorn that all just, that his gold does not glitter. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. Um, and so that is when they are like, Frodo's like, all right, I'll trust you. But mm-hmm. Sam, bless his soul, he is still like, I don't know. He's like, I don't know about this guy. He looks very rascally, you know, and he suggests, like, once Frodo is finally like, oh, like, 
why didn't you mention the poem or whatever? And he's like, I didn't know the poem. I didn't know there was a letter. I didn't know there was a poem. I was just trying to convince you the best that I could. And Sam is still like, no, you could be pretending to be Strider. You never mentioned this before. And I just love that he's like, so Strider responds, if I had killed the real Strider, I could kill you. And I should have killed all you already without yeah. so much talk if i was after the ring i could have it and then he goes now like he gets up flashes the hilt of his sword uh-huh and then and then, then it, but then he's like but i am the real strider fortunately mm-hmm. i am aragorn son of arathorn and if yeah. by life or death i can save you i will and then you know as we know that line gets taken to the council of elrond which makes a lot of sense because yes. he's actually committing to yeah well, in the movie, they don't find out. Like, I thought it was funny. Um, it Everyone in the movie is very, like, hesitant. Like, he's he doesn't want yes. to accept his fate. He wants to be the ranger. He wants to kind of do his own thing. And so they don't find out that he's Aragorn until much later. And I thought it was funny that, like, in the book, he's like, he's all mysterious. He's all mysterious. But then, like, Butterbur comes in. He's like, hi, I'm Aragorn, son of Arathorn, heir to the throne of Gondor. Er- yes. And I'm just like... Well, hold on a second. Like, <laughs> he just yeah, was very willing to 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 give that information, and I was just like surprised that he's he's a little different in the books than he is. In the yes, movie. he's so different. So that I think that is one of the big like one of the big departures characterization yeah. wise. Yeah. Um. You know because, and I and I get it. Like in the cinematically speaking i think it is pretty compelling to have a guy who is like clearly a great leader but is like reluctant to lead or take that on official title as far as um being introduced to this character and i think showing because really the way tolkien portrays aragorn he doesn't really have a lot of flaws you know like him and faramir in the books they don't really have that but then yeah (laughs) Don't you mean Ray? I <laughs> it's always the women characters, but it's like the fact it's that he introduces Aragorn. he introduces Aragorn and he's like, I'm already great. I already have my sword. Um, I did all my training like 20 years ago. Like I, we don't see Aragorn gain any of his qualifying features to be a leader or to be king. And I like that in the movie it kind of shows more of his development like it's just one of those things where like if he had shown up well first of all if he was a woman and he had shown up and been like I'm already amazing every single man would have lost his freaking mind but they will fully accept it but they will fully accept at least in the book version of Aragorn that he's already a great leader he already has the sword he's already accepted his you know his fate it's just a matter of when not if yes and yeah like, that is what i wanted go to talk through about any struggles in the book at least he doesn't struggle to figure out who he is or to like kind of prove himself to himself yeah. and i think because i think for tolkien that has already happened like from the time he was like exactly. 20 to 40 he like goes yeah. off and but he, he, it's the fact he doesn't feel the need to show us any of that he just tells us and we accept that whereas mm. With female characters, that is not the case. And I think it's good that in the movie, it shows Aragorn's struggle a little. I think it makes him more relatable. I think it makes him a better protagonist. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously, I think Peter Jackson kind of shifted the 
main characters a little bit. Like, he kind of moved the roles around a little bit. Like, I yeah. personally don't think the books Aragorn is a as main of a character. But in the movie, I think Peter Jackson definitely intended him to be the, like, the main hero of the story. Yeah, it's like him and Frodo, I feel like, in the movie. Yeah, like, he and Frodo, to me, in the movies are the main characters. And I don't feel like that was the case for book Aragorn, yeah at least anna who did you feel like is the main character i felt like frodo was the main character for mm-hmm. sure um and then uh i want to say vigo all the time mm-hmm. just say vigo. Aragorn. we know who okay. it is <laughs> we know who you're talking about i mean he literally is like there's nobody else yeah it's such a good <laughs> match he's beautiful so good. <laughs> so good he's got that swagger that he does and he's not hot in any Personally, I don't think he's hot in any other movie. I don't think yeah. he's hot in real life. It's just as Aragorn. Like it's something about the character. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that Vigo is an um, like an amazing dude, mm-hmm. but like I'm not like drooling over Vigo. No, no I'm not time. like obsessed with him as an actor, but like he's such a good Aragorn. And, I know. Like, but undeniable. did I watch Promises because of Vigo Mortensen? Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> or in Hidalgo. Like, like the movies that came out after Lord of the Rings, I was like, I'm just going to go see anything these people are in because I just love them so much, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, I was just, I was just like, I'm a fan of all of it now. Anybody yeah. in this movie, you know? Anybody behind the scenes, I'm oh, yeah. down for whatever you're doing. <laughs> um, and that's one thing I've loved to see with like Weta, you know, becoming such a big name in Hollywood. Like they're yeah. a part of like the CG and like prop making for a lot of major franchises now. And I'm just like, Richard what else have they done? Um, God, I feel like they're a part of a little bit of everything now. But let me do a quick Google. Please. I think they did something for Pacific Rim, Thor, Ragnarok. Oh, well, um, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Um, don't know. Ghost in the Shell, Warcraft stuff. I feel like Krampus. <laughs> <laughs> Because they, I think that they're because like I think what a workshop. I think that was what a workshop. Um, they are the ones that do like more physical stuff, and then there's what a digital that does a lot of the uh, effects. Okay. Oh my gosh, the Batman. Oh. Um. Did you guys see that? They're gonna work on Moon Knight apparently. Well, they have then. It's coming out soon. Yeah. Um, Avatar. Ah. Um, Hawkeye. The show. Mm-hmm. They did, you know, they've done stuff for Marvel. They worked on Thanos. Um, I think they're just everywhere. Yeah. You know, Good they're for like, them. yeah. And I think, I, I truly think that, like, Eternals, Shang-Chi, yeah. Suicide Squad. I mean, they're everywhere. Yeah. The Green Knight. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Probably literally every movie, big major movie that yeah. needs digital effects. Wow. <laughs> they're a part of it. So, so that's been really lovely to watch 
their kind of yeah. journey because i think you know they were just kind of like kids with a dream the same way peter jackson was mm-hmm. and he, they get this huge job and they really went for it and i think that is one thing that like i'll probably say this in every episode but like the love and like the care that that team put into these movies it's like tangible mm-hmm. it's i i just don't think it's something that you see replicated very often in movies i can't think of a movie before or a movie since that like measures up to that that kind of commitment i think that you know as much as people want to talk trash on the last season of game of thrones um i think david and david uh i think they care about game of thrones a lot and you can see that a lot in the the first six seasons um first you know when they had seasons in my yeah uh in my opinion i think by the later half of the seventh season and all of eight they were just uh artistically tired um and had a lot of pressure from the studio to to do something but everything really before the first half of season seven now i'm super biased but um i think I think they really, really care about that that fandom. And, that, and maybe that that's book. why we got oh. the Hobbit movies that we got. Peter was tired. Mm-hmm. He's been yeah. doing this, you know. I mean, it's like they, what? I mean, it was like several years that they worked on Lord of the Rings, and then they did it again for the Hobbit. Yeah, I mean, I think it also and I know suffered from like the like the prequel effect, which is you know. Mm. the original star wars george lucas had what he had to do the effects yep. for the original trilogy yes. and he you know he'd if he had had the opportunity the the original trilogy would have looked just like the prequels it's just the technology wasn't up to par so like it could very well be that they cared a lot and that's why they did the miniatures and all the practical mm-hmm. effects but it also could be that like in the early 2000s they needed them cgi wasn't up to up to par like they probably put all their money into Gollum and just were like all right build everything else whereas like you know when the prequels came out and then hence with the Hobbit like digital effects had kind of caught up and it's obviously so much easier and cost effective to do things in a digital environment rather than you know building things with tinfoil and tissue paper so I don't know I think they suffered from the the same things that you know just getting overly excited and being like, oh, we can make things so much more detailed and we can create these environments that we couldn't create before. And like, it just doesn't measure up to the practical effects that tend to, you know, they don't age as bad as, as digital effects do because they are as constantly evolving. Like the prequels just don't look as good because digital effects have way surpassed. So it's like, you want to make something modern but modernity in terms of digital effects only lasts a couple of years and then it just looks dated. Yeah. I would have loved with the Hobbit if they had like just focused on like, like I think Gollum and Smaug looked beautiful. Mm, If they, you know, if they had just been like, these guys are going to be like the digital characters and then we're going to do more practical stuff. Like, like the, like the orcs being CG was very strange. Because it's like we've only seen practical orcs before, yeah. ever. It felt like you're you watching know. a video game for most of it. It yeah. did, and then, and then, then especially also, with the you know, 
wanting to make three movies out of a book that is smaller than each of the Lord of the Rings trilogy books that were each one movie. It's just like, yeah. I, it's, it's just a lot. Kind of the, the, the greed of the trilogy. I think Harry Potter kind of started it when they split the last book yeah. into two movies. And yeah. then the everybody Games, was doing that. The yeah. Hunger Games Twilight did it. Book into two movies. <laughs> Twilight, the last book was split into two movies. So I think they tried to kind of follow that route. But yeah. um, there just was not enough content in The Hobbit to do that. Yeah, and I think I heard that the uh, the original plan was to make it two movies so that they could add in the stuff with the Mirkwood, like Dolgador with, you know, mm-hmm. you know uh, Gandalf and the White Council stuff, which I think mm-hmm. that was cool. Like, I was there for that. Yeah. But then it was just like, everything had to be so epic and like oh, insane. Yes. Well, that's why we had to get a weird love triangle. Yes. And that's why they added Legolas for some reason. And like, it's just like they had to add so much stuff to make it three movies long that yeah. it just, it was all wrong. <laughs> yeah. It was sad because I was so ready. Like, I was so ready for that. You know, I know. what I, I was mean? Like, oh, a female elf. Yes. Another female character that, you know, famously The Hobbit has zero. <laughs> so and I mean and Peter did such a good job with increasing the female representation from the Lord of the Rings giving Arwen more than one line and like yeah. making Aelin more of a main character and mm-hmm. he did such a good job increasing that representation and then to give us you know Evangeline Lily in a love triangle I was like really like this is all she has to give is to yeah. fall in love with a dwarf like I'm just I just have to hope that that there was like some like studio nonsense happening probably they're like oh there has to be a romance or else people won't watch it yeah I don't we won't get the females to watch the hobbit if there's not legolas and so much rather watched it had she not (laughs) no romance (laughs) I know with a dwarf of all things like I feel like you're undermining the significance of Legolas and Gimli's relationship. Exactly. Uh, and their relationship, by the way, is one of the things that I prefer about the books. There's not many, mm-hmm. but I prefer the book relationship between Legolas and Gimli. It's so much better. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to come back when Legolas and Gimli finally get on the fellows. Get, uh, join right. the road. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, I think... I think there was just one quick thing I wanted to add about Aragorn um, because like we were talking about how he uh, was very reluctant in the movies. And then in the books, he's like, I'm Aragorn, son of Arathorn. Pleased to meet you. Even though I Mm -hmm. was calling myself Strider for several pages. Um, (laughs) And he shows, you know, that he's carrying around this broken sword um, Mm -hmm. that's like, broken in half whereas in the movie they show it like in shards and elrond has it displayed but Mm -hmm. aragorn's just walking around with this uh broken sword and he's um talking about and then later we find out that he says that it will be reforged once the ring is found and obviously by the time we meet him in brie he does know about the ring being found Mm um Mm -hmm. and so I wanted to see your thoughts on why you think it had 
that the the tie of the sword and the ring why did they have to wait for the ring to be found to reforge it i don't know i mean there's no answer i don't think yeah i that i mean because it's like what it's been five thousands like a thousand years or two thousand years i think something like that it's two thousand years yeah, no. And also, like, I don't know. Do, do they describe where he gets it from? Is it, like, an heirloom that's just been passed yeah. down? Yeah, yeah, that and the scepter. Right. Yeah, I. Th- this is another instance where, like, I just have to give it to the movie for, like, the way they treat the sword. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, yeah, I don't think it makes sense for him to just be carrying around this broken sword with no intention of at any point reforging it yeah because it's like he turned he's like kind of on his own like you'd think he'd like this precious beautiful sword like it's i mean obviously we know eventually that he he needs that to prove who he is to the dunharrow king so it's like it's pretty crucial i think it makes way more sense for it to just be kind of sitting in rivendell as this like not only a reminder of like elrond's failure but Mm. just like of promise of hope like that it's just there and also i mean Mm -hmm. everyone was raised in rivendell so it's not far-fetched that it was an heirloom it would be there yeah there you know instead of carrying it around with him like that to me logically makes way more sense and also just that epic moment of when he's deciding to go to the dunharrow king and you know Elrond shows up in the middle of the night and he's reforged mm-hmm. it and he's like this like that to me is like such a pivotal moment for Aragorn's character and it's like where you really True. see his shift in coming into his own and accepting his leadership and like the moment where he the the music and where he pulls it out of the sheath is like it's it's obviously cinematic like you see why he made the choices that he did yeah. um in order to make it more to make that more of a poetic moment. Um, but I just, I don't, I think to me that makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, Anna, what do you, do you have any feelings either way? I like the character development of Aragorn, you know, being like, they, they, Gandalf kind of like announces that it's him in front of Boromir, and Boromir mm. is like, "Oh shit, that's you know." He's taking my throne. <laughs> yeah, and then God later for um, Arwen and him to like have these little side conversations, and he goes and he he Boromir in the extended version, I believe Boromir goes yeah. and looks at the yes the sword and he's like, like oh, "This is fancy," and Aragorn's like whatever it's mine no big deal <laughs> just left it there <laughs> yeah and i, I actually like that better him. yeah like it i have also a lot of thoughts about boromir but i think we'll talk about that i think the other episode is that i'm yes to is very yeah. boromir centric because i have a lot of yes. thoughts about book versus movie boromir too uh, but can't wait save that yeah i think I said what? Boromir instead of Ned, so I'm proud of myself. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's Everybody, take note. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're converting on. <Anna. laughs> 
Um, I think I just wanted to um, entertain. I mean, this is just a guess into like Tolkien's brain, but mm. as far as like reforging the sword when they, you know, waiting to reforge the sword until they're literally about to go destroy the ring. Um, yeah. After, you know, when they leave Rivendell is when they finally decide to. And he says in the book at Bree that, you know, there's a comes, a t- it's almost time to reforge it. Yeah. And, I my theory is that because he is a descendant of the Numenorians and specifically Isildur, mm-hmm. that I think it speaks to like his his line and also himself having like a feeling of responsibility for mm-hmm. the fate of the ring because it because only because Isildur didn't immediately destroy it that right. he is so his fate is tied to it and i and i'm sure that like the way that magic works in tolkien's universe which isn't really explained but i feel mm-hmm. like that there is something important about that that because right. it was a sealed door that didn't destroy it that mm-hmm. aragorn has to be the one to yes. see that through and it's you know it's the sword that cuts the ring off of sauron's hand so no it is so he has definitely significant yeah. So I think to me that is the thinking there. Mm-hmm. But when translating to the movie, like you would never put that together. I mean, no. you might, but like as far as but because it's a these... book, he can yeah. spell like Tolkien loves to just spell things out for you directly. Like he has multiple characters oftentimes say the same thing multiple mm-hmm. times. Yep. And it's very like it's very like I'm telling you what's happening. Whereas movies can't really do that, and if they do, it's usually not well received. Like you kind of have to assume your audience is intelligent, and so like if he had just used the direct dialogue from the book, it would not have been in any way, you know, cinematic or poetic at all. Because no, there's a yeah. lot of stuff that is just kind of directly stated in the book by characters that yes would have been really weird dialogue for a movie. There's a lot of good quotes, but in terms of like characters talking to each other, yeah, it's not as good. <laughs> I know it's always very like chunks, right? Where mm-hmm. there's like this great bit of exposition, and you do learn a lot about what's going on and like some yeah. backstory that we've talked about. But then the movie takes that and tries to show it to you rather than yeah. like sit there and, and hold your hand through it. Yeah, you know. And I don't think um, like I agree that I don't think the book's version of the sword would have translated as well to the movie. Yeah. And I, and I think that's, I mean, that's what we tried to lay out probably in like the first episode about when we talk just about adaptations in general, is that like, and especially when we're thinking about the rings of power coming out in September, is mm-hmm. that like, you can have this book and it, and you love everything about it, right? And then mm-hmm. you can equally have the movies and mm-hmm. love the way that they did those, you know? And so it's like, you you don't need to, nor do you, should you expect, like, a one-for-one. One. Because, right. what, I mean, it's like, what's the point? Like, you have it already. Yeah. 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 It's already there. Yeah. So, you know, we're fully in the camp of, like, let's see, let's see what the these Amazon people do yeah with this and yeah. I think it's I think people are I mean I know you had the commenter 
on your page thinking that they were tr- trying to make a TV show of Lord of the Rings, the books, right? And <laughs> but you didn't do your research before you did that, did you? <laughs> and it, it's like, I don't know, this like hero worshiping of Peter Jackson is very bizarre to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and to think that you are going to like, think about all the moments that we literally just spelled out that they mm-hmm. lifted exact dialogue or exact mm-hmm. lines yeah. and then use them somewhere else. Yes. They're not going to be doing that with yeah. the appendices or the Silmarillion. Because the, the, that's there, not how that was written at all. I there think are no lines. Two, there's two chapters that cover the Second Age, I believe, in the Silmarillion. And it's and there's like a handful of lines. Yeah, it's like very broad sweeping. It's not the same type of story. And it would be impossible quite literally to do like a one for one which I mean it wasn't even possible with these yeah I honestly think it's a good thing that it's not like I love Peter's interpretation of some of the stories like I think his version is very respectable I think he you know treated the books treated the source material with the highest honor so I get why people kind of hold that to the golden standard, but like it's the same thing with the costumes. We're like, oh, the costumes don't look, their costumes aren't accurate. They're not following the source material. And I'm like, when in the Silmarillion does he describe exactly what everybody was wearing? He doesn't. So if you're using the movies as source material, like it's a little, it's just, it's a little questionable because they're not like canon. You know, it's not like Star Wars where like there's just movies. Yeah, I mean, and you can, and you literally have like people in charge of what is and isn't canon. Like, yes. that's not the case for Tolkien. Like, it's here. just it's the just, books. It is just the books. Like, there is nobody that has like been like the movies are what happened. When I, I mean, considering the new rules that the Tolkien estate kind of made about copyright, I don't think that will ever happen. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's. um the Rings of Power, like, it's just going to be a whole different beast. We've never had a TV show. They don't have direct dialogue that they can rip. Like, it's going to be its own thing. And I think that, like, there is, obviously, there's rules about how to make a good story or how to, yeah. um, you know, just, like, basic literature, cinema yep. rules. That, and, like, hitting the high points of the timeline will mm-hmm. be important. But other than that, it's kind of a, you know. Yeah. Like a, is it up in the up air? To them. We even have rights to the Silmarillion? I think I don't know yeah. if we even know if they have, you know, the ability to use. They stuff are not telling us that they do, and then and I think, yes. but they are working closely with the. They're telling us we just have the rights to everything that, that Peter Jackson did: the Hobbit, the yeah. appendices, Lord of the Rings, um, and so mm-hmm. there are clues and stuff in there, and like the high points of thing, like the timelines and stuff, but. Um, yeah. I but they are working with the Tolkien estate, which makes me think mm-hmm. that they're probably giving them some more insight or more like little tidbits that they can use, like yeah. on an ad hoc basis. But they're not like handing over the book, like right. the Silmarillion or any of that. So that's what um, I like with like the like how people kind of freaked out about the new characters. I'm like, they might not necessarily be new characters. You might be like mm-hmm. the characters in the book, but they just can't use those names or, you know, something yes. along those lines where they're going to use them in place of other ones. And I don't think that necessarily is a bad thing. No, I think it's like, do you capture the vibe? And 
because yeah. that's like i think what peter jackson's movie does well like oh. they yeah. they don't keep everything exact but they get the mm-hmm. vibe and so if they I mean, got the landscape you got the music he got he got the casting right like he had all of those elements right so much so to the point where like you know I've seen other people make this point before where it's like there were definite significant changes that he made to the books to characterizations but because they're good we got over it like we didn't as a fandom in general there wasn't like this lasting hatred you know I'm sure there were message you know AOL oh, yeah. whatever message forums at the time of people being like, you know, the dude bros are always there. They're always they're always going to be there. They've always been there. They will always be there. But like lasting effects haven't been as bad as like other fandoms, I guess. So I feel like as long as it's good in its own right, it yeah. really shouldn't matter how exact yeah. of a replication of two chapters of a book that was published after Tolkien died. By the way, <laughs> it yes. is like Tolkien didn't even have any creative say in this book in before what was it was published. published. It was just ripped from his notes. And as we know, he changed his mind a lot. He was constantly changing um, different pieces of the lore. So if he had still been alive, maybe he would have changed some things. Like, we don't yeah, know. I'm sure he would have. I'm sure I'm, he would have. Yeah. Because he's a human so being. Yeah. like <laughs> he's, he's a human. Really he's a regular, regular guy. Like, he's just, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I think that Tolkien would be horrified by the amount of these dude bros being like, we're going to protect Tolkien's legacy. Because it's like, he, he's <laughs> like, I'm a guy with a family and I'm a professor. And like, yeah. sure, I've put a lot of thought into this but like mm-hmm. i'm not you know what i mean like yeah. i'm not and to he, be worshipped he wrote, he wrote so many different versions like there's a bunch of different versions of different stories like of baron and luthien he obviously I mean, he rewrote the hobbit to make more sense mm-hmm. after he published lord of the rings and i think it's pretty clear from fellowship that he didn't quite know where he was going like that's why we spend so much time in the shire because he's like i'm just gonna describe the hills and the trees and stuff and he just kind of took his time with that and i think it's because he what he's writing he doesn't think it's like i don't know like as high as these people now regard it to the detriment Mm -hmm. of the people who are consuming the media now like I always say like they're not making the show for Tolkien he died 50 years ago they need to make it for today's audience and future audiences that are going to keep his work alive and I think other creators I've seen talk about how like it's this is not written for modern audiences like I personally don't like his writing style like I don't like the like characters telling each other what's going on like and I think that's why most people who are fans of Lord of the Rings now are fans of the movies. And honestly, after yeah. reading the books, I wouldn't blame you for not reading them and just being a fan of the movies. And, you know, yeah, reading it's totally valid. occasionally. Like, that is totally a valid form of expression in this fandom. I think more so than any other fandom because these books are so antiquated at this point. And, like, we have yeah. to adapt things for 
modern audiences in order for them to survive. And I think Tolkien would have much preferred people continue consuming his content hundreds of years later than it just stay the same and stagnant forever. Because it's like, we'll always have the books. Like, these are one of the top selling, like, most translated works on the planet. Like, Mm -hmm. these books aren't going away. But, like, to interest, like, I did um, a TikTok in December about the 20th anniversary. And I was like, tell me how you were introduced to Tolkien. And I've gotten answers, everything from, like, video games and records and, um, you know the cartoons like yeah and none of those are exact to the books especially the video games like they those video games just do whatever will look cool and yeah. being set in like the <laughs> world and but does that take away from the these no mm-hmm. absolutely not like that is the beauty of adaptation i think is that we can make we can like get new minds and thoughts about the world and like mm-hmm. t- and like make something new that we can all enjoy or whatever yeah. and then that will lead you to the other adaptations that will lead you to the the books you know mm-hmm. so like t- and to and to also to make it out like these directors these the writers of the tv show the costume designers the effects people the conceptual artists to act like you're going to have these hundreds of people get together to make a show and not, you know, have, like, their spin on it. Yeah. Like, no. That's not guys, ever going to happen. That's, that has never, that has never happened. It's <laughs> not possible. Like, like, being married to, like, an artistic person, like, the that would be that would a not have, make any creative person want to participate in no. the creation of oh, the show. No, <laughs> and like so, you would never get it made. And never. b like you're just you would never get more people introduced to the fandom. So yeah. it's like I think we've got to look at it like, and I'm assuming if you're listening to this that you're in the same boat. But it's like you know you just kind of gotta open the doors wide and be like, yeah, come on in. And the I water's think that's fine. What Peter Jackson's movies did, like, it has become clear to me on TikTok that like the lore community, like the people who are really into the lore, think that they are way bigger than they are. Like, mm-hmm. especially after reading the books, it has made me realize that like there can't be more than thirty percent of lo- people who consider themselves Lord of the Rings fans that are like deep into these books, and so like mm-hmm. to cater to the minority of the fandom rather than the majority plus appealing to new members of your audience would be stupid. It wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, this like on like a totally different note, this makes me think about how like, so we have an author who's dead and we have people making new interpretations of the thing. And then we have, on over here in the Game of Thrones fandom where your author's still alive and your books aren't finished but the show is done I'm I'm assuming that he told them like essentially where he wanted the story to go but it makes me wonder like is he gonna retcon it because he can if he does it you know and he was an executive producer on the show even through season 8 and he's acknowledged that yeah, the TV show did go in some different places than the books have um, because it's a TV show and there's some, you know, decisions that you need to make, uh, supposedly. 
the last book is close to being done. You know, hopefully we'll get it. <laughs> um, but it definitely is is interesting because there there are parts of the book that you're just like, well, I don't know if that if the if the TV show did it justice because we technically don't know mm. how that even ended. You know, like Danny going to Westeros. That is yeah. not. We, we don't see that in the books. She's nowhere yeah. close, actually. So. You know, it's just so interesting to think about, like, we, you know, and it's also like, have we not learned from like putting people on a pedestal? Like, we're always going to find out some nasty shit about somebody, you know, like, let's just take the work for what it is. And, um, and go from there, Mm -hmm. you know? So like, for Lord of the Rings fandom, we've got the show coming out, we've got the War of the War Hero, Game of Thrones, we've got books and tv shows yep coming so you know let's just all like take a chill pill in our fandoms mm-hmm. and enjoy you know like i think <laughs> totally fine to be critical we've literally been critical of the peter jackson movies mm-hmm. you know like it's but let's just in you know not like shoot ourselves in the foot here and like put it down yeah. and then never get any new adaptations ever again. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a difference between gatekeeping and, you know, you can stand up for your perspective or what you like and having uh, friendly debates with people about what you like more, what you, you know, dislike. But I think when you start gatekeeping, that is when, you know, you've, you've crossed the line because it's supposed to be fun mm-hmm. and thought provoking, not like, Oh, well, Andy Serkis is supposed to have blonde hair, not brown hair, whatever. And like having that be the hill you die on. Mm-hmm. Please, like, uh, let's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's not. <laughs> so, I mean, I, that is all that I had for these chapters. And we did cover five chapters today, everybody, if, if you can believe it. But I thought it would only be fair if you're coming at this from the movies to get us to breathe. Because, like, we could talk forever about Tom Bombadil for whatever reason, but yeah. um, we didn't. <laughs> uh, we like the Barrow so, Downs. So, yeah, the Barrow Downs. There's, yeah, there's definitely a lot there. So let me remind myself about what's happening next week. So next week, we... So when the movies end, like, the way that we're pausing this episode is they agree to you know that strider is cool and they go to sleep and Mm -hmm. the the nazgul are creeping up so like in the next part we have a you know a knife in the dark Mm -hmm. the and flight to the ford so them escaping the nazgul once again and leaving brie and heading trying to make their way to rivendell is is next week um so Emily, thank you so so much for being here. This was like a ton of fun. Is there anything that you wanted to leave people with, like where they could find you on the internet or anything like that? Um, just Silmar Emily on TikTok and Twitter. That's what I use to kind of talk about all my various interests. TikTok more so Lord of the Rings, but I I go into other things on Twitter. So awesome. Yeah. 
yeah, be sure to follow Emily. We love her so much. And we're definitely going to be seeing her again soon. So So thanks again for being here. Um, This was was lovely.